This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramatoshaloni land. Through our programming, we strive to amplify the voices of those who have historically been underrepresented. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Thank you, everyone. Wonderful to meet you and see you not really out here in the beautiful CIS world. Uh, I am Monique, or Dr. Mo, and I want to first uh, start us in a little bit of uh, a meditation to start uh, so that we can make sure that we're in the, the right space. So in a moment, I'll invite you to pull up with your coffee or your tea or your cocktail. But for right now, I would love it if you want to ground yourselves and put things down. And maybe you're finding yourself in a chair or standing or sitting on the floor, or maybe you're multitasking at the stove, but just for a moment, find a comfortable place to stand or sit and take a breath together, breathing in through our nose and out through our mouth. And breathing in through our nose. and out through our mouths. And on this last one, breathing in and holding. So breathing in. Hold, 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 and breathe out with sound. Allowing yourself, if you feel like you are so inclined, and you are right-handed, take your right hand. If you're left-handed, take your left-handed hand and just tap your heart a little bit. I'm just gonna tap our heart. <sighs> Opening our hearts. Maybe we've closed it off from a long day. Or it's just hard in the world right now, but just opening our hearts and being gentle with ourselves as we do. Imagining our rose in the center of our heart and imagining it blooming all the way to your back. So just breathing into that. (sighs) And gently, if you feel like it, releasing your hand and allowing your rose to be in the center of your chest uh, as we have this beautiful conversation tonight. I am so, 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 so thrilled uh, to be... uh, having a conversation, a fireside conversation. And now you can pull up if you want with your cocktail. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can get your yourself in, to relax, but I hope that you get a chance. Please buy this book, Joyous Resilience, A Path to Individual Healing and Collective Thriving in an Inequitable World. We have Anjali Shireen. And Anjali, I'm saying Anjali. I've heard Anjuli, um, could you please pronounce your name how you want to be spoken about? Thank you for asking. Yeah, I mean, either of those are fine. I say Anjali, but Anjali has also been <laughs> in use for a couple of decades, so I'm used to that one too. Thank you for asking. Wonderful. So um, welcome tonight to our conversation, and I wanted to first um, 
say this quote that I had just read uh, in your book. It's in chapter one. It is from Rumi. You say, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. And that's from Rumi, 13th century Sufi poet. So I am imagining that this has been part of your journey about opening your heart and to find barriers where there has been maybe not opening or not blocking. And I wondered if you would mind just sharing with us a little bit about how you got to this work. And, and I know that you described yourself as an, uh, as a immigrant, uh, and now a citizen. Uh, but would you like to describe for yourself, uh, for, for our audience, how you like to identify yourself and how you've gotten to this journey with heart opening and, and writing and, and just what is, what has been your path here? Just a little bit about you, if that would be okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, Let's see. You've asked a lot in that question. Of course. Okay, going back in time. Um, I love that you started with a quote because I think that's the essence of the journey, right? Especially, I think, like either spiritual journey or personal transformational journey. Like at the essence, I think we want to feel love. I believe we are love. And then there's all these ways in which hurts pile up and keep us from actually expressing that. And... Um, I'm going to combine the immigration journey and the therapeutic journey because they kind of came close together. Um, I left Pakistan at 18. Uh, My family still lives there. And so the first part of maybe the hurt and the joy, which is an interesting mix, was getting to come to this country, getting to go to college. It was a huge deal. Um, Getting to begin life afresh independently, Um, especially as a woman, especially as a woman of Pakistani origin, that was still... um, I think like rare at that time, especially to come over alone. Um, I think it's still a rare. And at the same time, not realizing because you're 18 and at that point it's all about freedom and, you know, you're starting a new life and all of that. The um, loneliness of migration on one's own and the loneliness of being separated from land and culture and language. I mean, that that's where I grew up and family Um And I think also how young 18 is. I think 18 never really knows (laughs) how young that is until later. Um, And so some of the emotional development that hadn't happened at that time. And probably a couple of years in, some of that began to show in a breakdown, um, as is pretty common, I think, at that age. It should show up um, in, in relationship. You know, I think it can show up academically or it can show up in relationship or both. And for me, it was showing up in relationship as um, anxiety, depression, also anger, Um, you know, and kind of this like acting out and like a dysregulation and not really knowing I didn't have those words even of what's going on. Um, I just knew I was unhappy and I think it was easy to blame it outside on like it's this person and that person. Um, It also took time to figure out I needed help. I think some of that is also cultural and I think that can be across cultures, especially, um, yeah, especially with like immigrant populations, but also black, any marginalized population, I think, Right along that side is is the taboo against getting help. It's the learned. Um, it's not necessarily resilience, but I think it's the protection. The, like, fake protection. protection. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like I don't need help. I need to do it on my own. Um, something is wrong if I am feeling this way, and so I need to hide it. So um, my close friends from the time love to joke and remind me, I mean, it was so long ago that I actually have forgotten it, that when I was first told back then, have you considered therapy? Which, you know, not 
um, there was such a taboo and such a reaction of like, what are you talking about? Why would I need that? I, I don't need, you know, which is really hilarious given what happened later. And of course, well, now uh, you're a therapist, right? (laughs) Yes. And actually how soon after, I think it was maybe a couple of years later, I think 21 or 22, I I feel really lucky actually and and privileged to have begun therapy that early. Um, Because the moment I got in, I just felt like, I don't know if you agree, Monique, like I wish that these tools were there from the outset starting as children. Oh my God, yes. Just even as simple as like, what are my emotions? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What am I feeling? Wait, what am, I, am cry- I feeling? Am, am I crying because I'm sad or am I actually angry or frustrated? Right. As That's a woman, right. we're not That's allowed right. to express through anger often. Anger. That's right. Exactly. And my presenting problem was I'm coming in pretty angry. And for me, the learning was underneath the anger, the softer feelings of hurt and pain and how to actually access and express them. And also underneath the anger are real needs and real boundaries. And I didn't even have the word boundaries back then. I mean, what does that that mean? Exactly. Or, or what's a boundary and what do I like? Like, what do I like? What do I want? What do I need for myself? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think especially, yeah, as as women in this culture, I would say like, you know, women of color, but I mean, growing up in Pakistan under profound patriarchy, same over here, not really being asked. I mean, I was lucky growing up in a family where there was a, there was that permission and freedom as a woman to have choices, to leave and come. And yet we were still steeped in that patriarchy. And there was so much anger in me, I think, at that time around not being asked permission on my body, not having consent around how do I want to dress? Where do I want to go? Having my freedoms curtailed. So, but I had no knowledge of this. I just knew I'm angry. I'm having a hard time. My relationships are not really working out. You know, um, I want romantic love, but boy, oh boy, it's not really, you know, happening for me. And thankfully, being able to turn the mirror back in and realize that there is a way, and that way is about really learning and befriending this body, this self, these emotions, uh, knowing myself and the time that that takes, um, and becoming, and this will, I'll talk about later, it's in the book, becoming the nurturer and becoming the protector that I needed um, to, um, this was the... Um, um, tagline when I first for, when I first began therapy, the person that I was working with had a tagline on their card. It said, "Come home to yourself," and I didn't know what that meant either. But I think I learned that. I think that early was the answer that in therapy you learn like come home to yourself, and especially either because of being an immigrant. But I think you and I were talking about this earlier on the call, like how many of us are displaced, displaced from land, um, displaced from culture, displaced from tradition, displaced from our bodies. So coming home to ourselves, that was the perfect tagline of come home to myself. There's a home in here where I have a friend, I have peace, um, and I get to have that wherever I go. And I am connected to those I love, and I have a deep sense of belonging inside of me. And that became the crux, I think, of like the work that I wanted to do and I think like the real spiritual and um, therapeutic work that there is to do. What does it mean to come home to ourselves? And then in collective healing, what does it mean to actually create a home where all of us feel at home? And it's not just some bodies that get to feel at home, right? So that that makes, so that just, that brings us to the start of the therapy and kind of the, <laughs> how it all began. Wow, there's so many different places I want to take this. Uh, and I think one of the things um, that you literally just said and, and um, is just about this 
this this piece of um, being able to do something for ourselves versus doing it for outside of ourselves. So other people, you're angry, what's going on, what's happening, why are you da-da-da-da-da, right? The judgments that other people make. Um, and then what does it mean to actually do, do this process for ourselves? Um, because a lot of women, not necessarily, you know, you were saying, well, it does, it's not working. So I'm doing this maybe for the relationship or because of these other things. And I'm thinking of myself, you know, although certainly I got uh, referred to therapy <laughs> in college, <laughs> Um, and I went one time and the, the lady tried to give me a book about toxic parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said, oh, peace. <laughs> I'm like, what does it have to do with my incompletes and having 19 library books overdrawn? How does that connect to toxic parenting? How does it connect that I cry every time I go to the registrar's office? How does it impact my mother's in the in the emergency room every other weekend? Like, how does that let my, my sister's crying in, in the in the bed when I leave when I left home, you know, uh, you know, my, I'm worried that my mother is, is, you know, she's using alcohol or, or marijuana or pills because she's so disembodied and so in so much pain. How does that have to do with toxic parenthood? You can tell me about that lady from a Western psychology framework, but you can't tell me that from my place, in my body, in my, in my lived experience, right? Because, yeah, maybe there were some boundaries that needed to be set, right? Everything that you just talked about. But there's also the other place of what I had to be able to do it for myself. Um, and it took me, it, because often we learn, I think, through relationship. And certainly the therapeutic relationship is the thing that I learned from probably the most. Um, and it's, it's the, the place that I had with my, uh, with my mentor and my therapist uh, for a long time, where I was actually able to do that relational work. Uh, that I wasn't able to do with an ill parent and X, Y, and Z partner, uh, because you actually get to do that work. Hopefully the therapist has done enough of their own work where they're not projecting, and they're actually able to see you in context, right? And so you're talking about some bodies don't have the capacity to be able to to do the work for themselves, or maybe not the luxury of therapy, and that, that everyone has this different place and space, um, or at least that's what I'm interpreting in, in some of what you said. Um, and that there's a privilege that comes with being able to do the therapy and do it early and learn ourselves and learn all of our feelings and everything. So I just wanted to, you know, say thank you for the framing of this book. Um, I really picked it up um, multiple times and, you know, life has been so busy. But what I what I really wrote to myself uh, was uh, I am choosing joy. I am choosing joy and I'm placing it at the center of my life. That was my affirmation after reading uh, your intro. I love that. I mean, you went right to the heart of, right? That is the center. How was that to... It's beautiful. But of course, I have the questions, right? So, you yes. know, you know me and, and the scholar. So I'm like, okay, so you say, one, the power to feel we want that we all have inside of ourselves three great forces. You say, one is the power to feel deeply protected. Mm-hmm. 
what's that? <laughs> how do we how do how do we get there? Um, you know, my first uh, real foray in, into relation into therapy was coming out of an abusive well, in being in a, a an abusive relationship, and the therapist having to help us get out of it without killing each other. So, what is protection, right? What is protection? And we're talking about that in a in a society where we have police sanctioned violence and you know link, lynching of of black and brown people on television uh, by the police. So what is that, you know, deeply protected? So I'm going to say all three of these, and then maybe if you could go into each one. Um, And then two, the power to feel lovingly nurtured. Again, I laid out, you know, some of my parenting challenges. Uh, Number three, the power to be joyously free to thrive. Wow. The power to be joyously joyously free to thrive and that those three ingredients make this or you say unleash like woohoo we're stuck right. now we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get free, free. we're gonna unleash free. um mm-hmm. resilience um and that resilience matters and joy matters and so that's the book right joyously resilient those three things so i wondered could you share with us a little bit about how one gets to those three places Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you so much for bringing in like your story, right? And the nuances in your story, just like I bring in mine and we realize like here we sit and then there's so much complexity to what we brought into, sounds like both of us on our therapeutic journeys. And I want to go back to what you said about like being met by a therapist who goes here, here is the way versus you didn't describe so much the the healthier therapeutic journey, but I imagine that was, like you said, more contextual, right? Going, what is the way? Who are you? Um, what happened around protection? What happened around nurturance? How did it make sense? So I say that, like, that everything else that's about to come out of my mouth, the thing behind it needs to be whoever whoever's listening is context, right? That, sure, there are certain things that we can build up inside of ourselves like nurturance and like protection Um, but what it looks like how it's going to look even at a certain stage in your life right because you're describing about being in a relationship with violence and yeah what did protection look like then as opposed to maybe some years later and the respect and now yes and so the respect to be able to be heard in where we are and I would say so for both nurturance and protection the first bottom line is what you and I were laughing about earlier, which is, what do I feel? What do I need? I have needs. How do I begin to listen inside? So the first basis of protection is actually having that opportunity to be able to connect to what is happening for us, what are we feeling, the context of our experience, and at least the idea, if certainly not the lived reality for a lot of us, that it is your body, even if society... Um, you know, systemic racism or patriarchy or capitalism have told you it's not your body and it needs to be fixed and it should be owned and, you know, shifted and changed. Just even that mirroring of like, actually, it it, it is. It still is your body and it's telling you things and it's telling you things usually through your sensations and your emotions. And if you can slow down and actually learn about those. And the caveat there is slowing down can probably feel very dangerous and hard when there has been so much pain and so much hurt and so much violation around that. So then we have to back up and go, at what pace would you like to, what works for you to slow down and listen to your body? And that's protection. So it could be in the therapeutic relationship. 
It could be whoever's hearing this right now and how we approach our children, right? When we go like, it's your body, you get to say yes and no, hear the names of your body parts. Um, when someone approaches you, this is how you say, um, yes, I want to, no, I don't. It can start that early. It starts in how we speak to each other, right? And we go, would you like to do this? Where are you at with that? Does this space work for you? All of those things are actually societal ways of, relational ways of practicing protection, as in you have a right to consent and you have a right to boundaries. Mm, mm. You have a right um, to consent. And what was the second one? Boundaries. Right? Oh, to consent and I, boundaries. I must have a problem with that one. I can't hear you. <laughs> like what she's And again, and I would say to you like, yes, and even the fact that you're saying, what did she say, right? We would slow down and go, and, and how, how does it make sense that that is so in the lived reality of your life? And then again, where do we afford you respect and go, great, tell us how it makes sense and tell us what you would like to shift, if anything, around that. So the, the point is that at essence, though, it is your body, it is your life, it is your spirit. And, and I'll just say this, I'm like, and we do deserve to be taught that we have that yes, that no, that may be inside of us and that it does deserve to be respected, even if it has not been Right, and that that is the essence of protection. Over here, if I turn to nurturance, you know, I, I do believe. I mean, I, I that like we don't come in as anything but love. Like, just come in as pure essence. And I think we also come in wired. We will not survive without nurturance. Right, we're wired for that. And and that that that, that you know that most loving part of us that at least can look at babies, right, and have that heart open. Like, oh, I want to be there for you, that that's in us, even if it gets hidden. So the need to be nurtured, I would say it's also universal. And that kindness, that like attunement, all those things that go back to being with infants, right? Like here I am, I look at you, I see you, um, I mirror back to you what you feel. Uh, when I see your needs, I'm there for you. We need that as babies, and the point is that we need that also as adults. And so that's what I mean about, like, you know, when you say, I love you, I, I hear you, I want to listen to you, I see the smile on your face right now, like, there's no way, I think, not to be touched by that and how much that softens us um, and how without that, how hard it is to be resilient, how hard it is to really do anything if I don't have permission to be cared for at the basic level. Um so that's what I mean by like, it's in us, we need it. And at least for me, as I found my therapeutic journey, the way out, the way back towards transformation or joy or even peace of mind is the cultivation of these two aspects, which I think of them as the healthy parents, like you said, the healthy parents, which when they respond to our most vulnerable self, right? Like, which could be, I'm really tired at the end of a hard week and a lot of things have happened and... My heart is sore and I have a lot of feelings. And at that point, if you're met with attunement, like, wow, yes, that's hard. I'm here for you. What do you need? And the protector who might go, and especially I think in like any kind of community healing work, activist work, mothers, women, like the, the, the like givers of the world, you would go, and you too deserve to, you know, turn off the phone or at least put it on vibrate, if not that. And... Um, take that shower and have that meal and take that afternoon or that day because I want to protect you in order to be able to go back out and serve again, right? So 
With these two in hand, I can actually stay resilient instead of vulnerable and deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes. Oh, I don't want to take you off your thought. Last thing I was just going to say is like the joy aspect, you know, like I feel like um, obviously when we're loved in this way, there is a relief. There is a peace. I mean, if your voice inside of your head is deeply kind and the voice inside of your head is kind of your ally and going, I'm going to support you in, you know, speaking your truth or communicating or um, even just like going at your own pace. And I'm going to be there is an innate alertness, aliveness, uh, joy, happiness that comes back. And then there's another piece, which is um, with this and with some of the the pain lessened, with some of the guilt and the shame, all of that kind of unwound, um, there is another level of joy that comes back, which is play, creativity, laughter. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing as well, right? That in this healing, and that those things are innately healing as well. That healing is not just talk therapy, going back to the Western health mindset. In that healing can happen when the nurturer, even nurturing your therapist or your spiritual community or your um, community center goes, let's play music and break bread together and make art together and let's cry together and grieve in that way and let's dance together and grieve in that way and let's make rituals and altars these are ways that we can come back into aliveness too. And that's part of the magic and power we have that I think has been co-opted by pharmacology. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm seeing that the, they're giving us a, a high sign that we need to fix something. Thank you. Anjali, I was just getting very excited about the con- the, the way that you talk in the book about, uh, it feels very vibrant. So first of all, of course, I need to know your sign, you know, for all of our <laughs> CIS people. <laughs> I'm like, she must be a fire or maybe a water sign, but very not, good. An, not an earth. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Sag, yes, lots love of it. fire. Love it, One of my uh, best friends is a Sag, so. Um, what are you? I am a Libra, air balance but I have you know can I have cancer and Leo in my chart so I have a little fire in there but not any earth so bless us as we <laughs> we say thank you to all the tech people and all of the amazing people that set up all of this uh, because they keep us grounded <laughs> um, so the fire right so the fire um, which also really makes me think about you with the anger right that you had more access to that I I had air so I had access to ideas and from the cancer sign the access of the water, the feelings, like, ugh. But um, I wanted to bring in the concept of play and creativity into joy and resilience, um, because I really feel that to be um, playful, um, to be able to be, well, I guess let me let me just say back to what you were talking about, building altars, right? Building altars and having meals together and crying together. But there's something to me about being able to be creative, that accesses deeply my spirit uh, and my joy. And I don't know if you have a, a, um, a creative practice that you do or you just play or if you have a child around you that you can play a lot. I definitely have um, childlike people around me that I'm very, <laughs> very lucky to be able to play in that way, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I have to say it still surprises me. It shouldn't, but it does. How much grown-ups don't play? or have no idea what what to do when we talk about play. Besides, it sometimes feels like like substance use. I mean, not that people can't play with mushrooms, psychedelics, and all of that, but I think like that whole like 
you know, we go to the bar and we have alcohol and that's the way that we play or it's only then that we're allowed to dance, you know, that kind of like being cut off. Um, so yes, play. Um, creativity, there's a few things I thought of. I think one what I love about creativity and I would love to know more about what kind you do is going out of verbal sometimes and into nonverbal, right? So I think about like imagery and art and music and how they're just things that we feel that are experiences we have that have to transcend words. And it's through those mediums that it can get expressed, which I think we do need to be able to digest and integrate. And I think it's so wonderful to be able to go beyond. I have to put a linear word or a story and actually this experience is nonlinear and it can come out through art. Um, for me, Monique, the past five years, it's actually been dance. Um, you know, we grew up with like Bollywood and like the Bollywood <laughs> movies. I don't know if you know them. Of course I do. Okay. Are, you a, are you a third line or are you in the front? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't, we didn't have um, lines. It was mostly like, you know, the like four girls of the neighborhood, the sisters <laughs> in the living room <laughs> dancing, which is, I think, kind of universal actually, right? Because that happens <laughs> here <laughs> as well. Um, but I grew up, I think, with like music and like dancing a lot more available without actually realizing that that was something. Um, and then again, I came to the West and like, you know, talk more about that. But it feels like all the emphasis on like academia and you're studying and you're getting your degrees and then you're um, learning and taking trainings and like all of very important stuff. But it didn't feel like there was a lot of room for like the other aspects of things that actually do produce aliveness and joy. And probably I would have really benefited from um, early on in my therapeutic journey. So yeah, in the past five, six years, just like coming back to dance, like any kind of dance and realizing how much I can move out of me in one dance session um, that, again, putting words to would take a long time. And just the, the, the sheer joy of being able to play, um, whether it's like partner dancing or uh, on my own. So that's that's one. Um, yeah, many others, but that's definitely one. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think about it as you're saying it, it's just like in, um, you know, sort of if we go back, dial it back and it's Black History Month. So I'm going to take a little uh, <laughs> a little. Um, a detour just briefly. So, you know, during enslavement, there was often in the South, in the U in the U.S. context, there was often not a lot of access to being able, any of those boundary things, first of all. So I wanted to say that concept that you talked about as protector, um, I've, I have always thought of as the nurturer. So I never thought that the protector would tell you that, oh, you can turn something off, that that's protection. I always viewed that as judgment or um, a boundary that, that you're not allowed to do something, right? And so I've always been the one that's, you don't tell me what not to do. Um, so it's so interesting that you view it as a protector. So I'm going to have to really in, engage with that because I, I love it. I just, I probably need to, it's almost like I, I feel like I want to harness some masculinity as a protector. And I've always thought of my protector as uh, sort of more um, feminine power, but it feels like I want, I want something that's like, you know, I want to incorporate more masculine energy into myself that says, no, you know, I can take care. You know what? No, I can take care of myself or or no, um, I'm taking care of myself or you as me, little Monique. I, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to say, you know what? Put that phone away. You deserve it. 
it, you deserve it. Yes. it. You have permission. <laughs> because because the feminine part of me is always like, I need to take care of these people. I've got 10 people calling me right now that are in crisis, right? And I need to address those crises. So I loved what you said about the protector piece. But when I dial it back into enslavement, right? And I think about times where folks would steal away. Um, I don't know if you ever got to read the book uh, Beloved by Toni Morrison, one of Long our... Long time ago. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think about um, African-American psychology uh, in a bit in, in two senses. Um, the Beloved character, which is often, um, it can express itself in a masculine kind of form too, but in the book it's very feminine. And in the, in the book, it's like this deep need that can never be satiated, right? The need for love, the need for protection, the need for boundaries, right? The need is just like, ah, you know, and then I think of Killmonger. So I don't know if you saw Black Panther. No, I didn't actually. Oh, I have not have see, seen it. You have to see I'm Black Panther. I've not been in the movies <laughs> zone, but I will. <laughs> so if you see Black Panther, Black Panther, you know, basically the, the there's an African proverb that that I think about when I think about Black Panther. There's a character that basically is the is the there's the protagonist, which is sort of the you know the one that you. I think that's the one you like, right? And then the antagonist is the hero. And the antagonist is the one that's like the anti-hero. So the anti-hero kind of comes in and his name is Killmonger. And he comes in um, because he was rejected by the village, basically. And so the African proverb is the, the, the child will burn the village down if it has not received the love and care of the village, right? And so I think about those in, in, in sort of some of our, our what's happening in, in my community now. So you see like Masculine or, or feminine rage is allowed, right? To a certain extent, you know, it's propagated. Or, but the the neediness part is is not allowed, so it's disavowed, right? And then I think back to I, I know I'm going everywhere, but I think back. If you're tracing me, I know you are as a therapist. We're we really, <laughs> oh, yeah. we're really good at this part. <laughs> like I know where you're going back to. <laughs> I've got you exactly. on this one. I know yes. you do. Um, so going back to the to enslavement and thinking about our bodies, not our own and stealing away to have a moment to process, right? To have a moment to have spirit, to connect to joy, to connect to creativity. You know, and in, in Beloved, they talk about it as a circular process, as a there's a stop, basically. And so I'm thinking about it almost as what you expressed. It's like we weren't, though nobody was using alcohol or drugs or anything like that. There was the drum. And if there wasn't a drum, there was a stick. And if there wasn't a stick to pound, there was the body or the voice, right? And we used all those things um, to help move that energy, that trauma out of us. Now, we had those spaces and those places together where we could help hold and, and heal each other in just those moments, a day, a half a day, sometime when you could steal away to the forest or to the woods and have those moments to heal, right? Now we dial it forward and we're all up in the club and everybody's going out and you hear the music and you got the bass and you know, you, maybe you're drinking or you're smoking your blunt or whatever you're doing, you're not actually deep. You're, you, and there can be in, in, in some of those places, deep connection to healing, but there's also the disconnection of our body. And so I remember, you know, I would need to drink, you know, to be able to really dance and connect in my body. And I would feel like out on a Saturday night, like I had expressed everything and my body had, you know, I would 
you know, you, you release, you catch the spirit, like spirit of alcohol comes and helps you, right? But I'm looking for the place that we can connect to that in our own body without those substances, like, right, without the antheogens or the ways to play. Like, how do we, how do we, how do you imagine, how do you support your clients in that space of healing where you don't need anything external to yourself and you can come in and feel spirit and cry and heal and dance and move and move it all through you? You know, what is what is your way of working with clients to get to that transcendent place of just like body healing and spirit healing? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It does. It does. I love and I'm so happy you brought that context and story, right? Because, yes, that's one of the places where it was most practiced and profoundly practiced. Um, I think the first thing I think of is time. You know what you're describing, like how you got that healing in the clubs and with the substances and you needed them. And that goes back to what we were talking about, about pacing and time and meeting somebody where they are. And so I think if you're in a place where it is a substance that's getting you there, I definitely, and this a little bit goes back to the protector piece you were talking about, so I'm going to knit them. You mentioned like the tone of voice you were using with yourself, right? Around the the phone, like don't do it. And then you shifted it to like, don't do it because you deserve this. And you're talking about the journey in the book, I say, between the critic and the protector. So the opposite of the protector is the critic who will actually put put you down, whereas the protector is there to actually uplift and go, you do need this boundary because I care for you, but I'm not going to put you down around it. And I'm going to tell you that you deserve it. And so to go back to the substances in the club and the dancing, we would first begin with like, we're not going into criticism. Why are you doing this? But we might start with going, why are you doing this? And I think we would have learned, like with your story, like there's some awesome things you're getting out of this. You feel good afterwards and there's release. And actually there is uh, memory in your body, ancestral memory of this is the way. Somewhere in there, this is the way. And then I think it's pacing in time about like tolerance. Because if someone is only able to really feel it in that big alive way with the substance, Usually it means first they just feel it, you know, in bite-sized pieces in in session, Monique, right? So it's like, oh, you cried with me here and I didn't fall off my chair and you weren't judged and you survived and you got to feel that aliveness right now with me without undue influence. And then maybe we smiled and we laughed together. And then maybe we went, tell me, tell me about your favorite song like dance to at the clubs and would you be willing to listen to it for one song, one repeat without the substance and actually just see what it feels like. I think it's also letting go of like, that's a different feeling, like aliveness when you're on substances. Feeling aliveness in this way, it's it's different. So building that tolerance for like, this is what aliveness can feel like and taste like, and I am safe in it. And so I can tolerate a little bit more of it. Um, you know, all the way to like, I run this um, joy circle, which I love. It's like a, it's a year long program. We used to meet live before COVID, you know, a group of uh, people coming together. And part of the joy circle is that we would end usually with dancing. And that's a great example because on that journey, and it was a learning journey for me too, especially when we moved to Zoom, that we started to go, okay, we're going to dance at the end. And then I got some really good feedback from people going, I want to, but boy, it's a lot. It's a lot to be on video. I'm watching myself. I'm not sure. And so it was such a great lesson in pacing to be able to go, okay, how do we meet you where you are? You can turn off your video. You don't have to dance. Like you can watch those of us who are comfortable and maybe that will help you. Um, 
And what I will say was beautiful is some of them are many years in. Everybody dances now and they love it. And it's such a joy to me. And it didn't have to be. It's also really okay because they also know they can say no. They don't have to do it. They still belong. So that's back to the protector and the boundaries, right? Like pacing, time, building tolerance, and then doing it together. You, don't, you know, you don't learn to dance in that way alone, I think. Well, you can, but it's a whole other thing to be witnessed. Um, yeah. Yeah, just um, that touches me. That part about not having to be alone. I think some of us... Um, with this COVID, right? I mean, I I live alone and I'm not trying to get anybody else sick. And so I, I'm trying to just stay in a bubble with my family and with my staff. And um, it's so hard to be alone and miss hugs. It is so hard. <laughs> it is so hard. Yes. Yes. How have you, how have you and your community cared for that? That is so real. Uh, it's one of the greatest pains of this time. It really is. It yeah. really is. Well, um, you know, I I have many different ways, of course, but... What are your joyful ways? I, I think, well, right... <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. What are the joyful ones? Well, right now, um, I was challenged with my kitchen. So my niece came over and she helped me organize the cabinets because at the beginning of COVID, I started ordering food because, you know, my grandparents and everything, you know, you don't want to not have food if there's not going to be food. <laughs> <laughs> Toilet paper and food. <laughs> Toilet paper and food. <laughs> and paper towels. Yeah, Cleaning right. But I had my cabinets were like spilling out on my my counter. So she came over and she organized it um, and she helped me with that. And I let her help me with that. And she felt really good about helping me with that. And then um, what I then uh, have been now I'm in my kitchen a lot more. And during COVID, I, I've just I've cultivated plants. So I have plants and orchids and um, yeah, mostly mostly orchids. And so people are always like, well, they don't rebloom. I'm like, well, mine do rebloom. Um, <laughs> that's the love. And, <laughs> yes, that's the love. And also because I sing to them. And so, right. <laughs> so I'm in the coffee, the kitchen in the morning and I start to sing to them. And there's just a, a thing that we call a, a zipper song. You, you take one word out and you put in another word and it's like a prayer. And um, I'll just say it really briefly, but it, it's a it's a come healing, come into my bones, come healing, make this body your home. And then you want to, you can say, come, and joy is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Come, come joy, joy, come into my, <laughs> my home, my bones, or my, my home, bones. my yes. bones, like, come into, like, joy, come into my bones, you know, uh, peace, come into my bones, peace, come into my home, peace, come into my city, you know, peace, come, you know, peace, come into my family, you know, protection, come into my family, you know, health, come into my family, health, come into my bones, you know, so I'm singing this, and now my orchids are like popping off they're like Woo! i want to bloom i want to bloom i want to bloom absolutely i mean they are fed by our words there's research on that right they're fed by and they make music i don't know if you know but they have their own music i know well, because i i think sometimes they're talking to me and i forget i forgot i'm not listening so i have to get quiet at home now and i have to listen you know i have to listen to myself you know as you say in your book you know you also have to have space to grieve like we don't want to do the spiritual bypassing right um 
so I wondered if you could talk about that and and then any because I know we have to start to wrap up for for I know it's gone so fast. Oh, um, I'm having fun. <laughs> you help me have fun. Get over my nervousness. Yay! Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you know, so mine is singing and plants, yours is dance. So we talked about joy. When, when you're feeling the grief um, or in the times of COVID and how it's been so hard with isolation for, for many people, and I don't want to project what it's been like for you, um, but I imagine also you're seeing clients over Zoom, yeah? Yes, everything <laughs> moved to Zoom. Last March, the anniversary is coming up. It was incredible, right? Overnight, yes. Yeah. So how how do you cultivate joy with your clients, you know, during this COVID time, right? And then also, how do you allow for the spaces where you don't you don't support them in spiritually bypassing? And what I mean by that is, you know, um, you know, this that I, I believe sort of in a Western psychology or the Western interpretation of Buddhism, the Western interpretation of Su- Sufism, the Western in- interpretation of um, um, uh, I guess I will say um, spiritualness, yeah. spirituality, is that you don't feel bad. <laughs> you're going to just go sit up on a mountaintop and it's all going to be lovely. And it's going to, you know, you're going to be like, oh, people, oh, you poor people down there. You're just, you know, you're, you're lower vibration. I'm going to just Weber, you know, unfortunately, he, he, you know, would judge and delineate people as lower vibrations, right? And higher vibrations. And so how do we, how do we shift that in this context um, in, in a real um, enriched way and say, you know what, there can be joy and suffering at the same time. Like, right, we've cried and we've laughed, you know? Yeah. Yes, yes. And I think that we laugh more freely because we know that we're free to cry and back and forth. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think back to that whole, um, I think there's also not only the hierarchy, but also this idea of like, why aren't you over it yet? Well, okay, maybe you can feel sad, but how long? And if it's Mm -hmm. going on for whatever a long time is, it depends on the person, then something is wrong, right? yeah. And then again, maybe you're not doing your work or you're not doing enough. Or if you're just working harder or healing faster, then you wouldn't feel this way. So um, in the book I talk about, and I think the premise is joy is, in, in, in my point of view in here, aliveness. And aliveness is permission to feel all of you. So that is where the joy springs from, is that I am free to feel what I feel, when I feel, for how long I feel it. Um, and there's no wrongness inside of it. It just is. And that's kind of like the water, you know, it's like the water just gets to flow and flow freely. Um, And the joy is I have tools inside of it not to cover it over, but to feel it again back to the base and in the ways and in the containers that don't let me be completely overwhelmed by it. And if I am overwhelmed by it, it's nothing wrong. It just means I probably need more of a container. I need more support. So that, right, like there is no hierarchy. There's just we all feel feelings. So that's just want to say that whoever needs to hear it, everybody feels feelings. Um, if you have not felt grief in the past year, I mean, that I, that's incredible, but I, I don't know anyone. That, that, that's not possible. And I wouldn't want not to feel grief. To go back to love, if you love deeply, you are signing up for grief at some point because you love. Yes, yeah, love is the mother of grief. That's right. That's right. I love, I love that. I never heard of it, but like, I love that. Yes, love is the mother of grief. And so... That is what we have attempted to do the best of our ability in my personal life and in clients. It's like, how do we mother the profound grief that came out this past year, which we are all still 
living and digesting and you know i mean it's a new year and yet the ripples are there um by um i think first like really validating like i think nothing hurts more than you're grieving and then you're told you should not and it's not real that's the knife you know yeah and that is what prolongs grief and i think turns it into depression and hopelessness and pessimism and all of those things instead of if it was met with of course you feel this way because you love profoundly and you're empathic and how do i hold a space where i give you permission to just feel this and we feel this together um and what i found is that like also grief is not again meant to be felt alone so we just keep going back to that right like grief especially like meant to be shared um I read this beautiful quote once I've never forgotten it that it was from a father I think who had lost um who, who lost like a their like son at like maybe age 2 or 3 and he says grief shatters you into a million pieces and then you are meant to digest them just one 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 by one and so some of it is that right that we just made time session after session in our joy circle talk about noxy moron last year I'm running a joy circle and you know I can't tell you Monique right like circle after circle the fires are burning our homes down the sky is orange um you know i mean the very important protests and then like black people dying which has always been true and yet it was very important to see and feel the tremendous pain of that how do we say we're having a joy circle and this is happening and i, I think what was important there was to go we have to center our resilience like we have to have some way of focusing on what's going to keep us alive what's going to keep us going because if we don't the alternative is so bleak and also it's letting that pain that 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 like oppression win right that like back to it's my body it's my one lifetime i uh, maybe there'll be more but I will not be cheated out of my laughter or my tears, my rage or my capacity to share my fears, my ability to dance with you and feel with you and 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 eat and like remember the land is still here like I will not be cheated out of that because capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy and all of these things want me to basically give up and die, you know, really, you're not to it like you will either kill me and kill our people or you will continuously teach us that there is not that much worth living for so we have to center joy and resilience but we have to include in that allowance to feel all that we feel and to feel it together um that's where some of the premises we did and singing and plants nature saved me many of us um yeah all of that Mm, my heart is so full. Um it's such a wonderful um opportunity to be with you. Um I know we're we're almost at the eight o'clock time and I wanted to see if what what else do you what is from your book or from your life or from spirit uh right now? What what message do you have uh for the community listening and for our relatives? I think first just thank you for whoever is spending their Friday evening sitting here listening to our conversation. Thank you for being here. I think I would say to each of them maybe take a moment right now and like reconnect back to the grounding and like what feel your feet on the floor. So much has been said and often we're listening like you said when we're cooking or we're getting ready for bed probably some of us and I just want to make sure that you do use the breath to 
and maybe we can just do this together, right, Monique? Like taking a couple of those deep breaths in that Monique taught us and exhaling out through our mouths. <sighs> Resetting our nervous system is actually just one conscious breath away. So yeah, just a few deep breaths in, deep breaths out to actually bring your attention back now if it hasn't been with your own bodies. You sitting wherever you are, standing, your feet on the ground, your back supported. And then, yes, if it feels good, just like Monique did, like bring a hand of care to your heart and maybe even a hand to your belly or wherever it would feel good to your body to sing hello. I'm saying thank you for showing up here tonight and taking this time. And then maybe taking a moment and listening to like what brought you here tonight, like whatever that thread was, what was it that your heart, that rose was opening to receiving? And the next few breaths that you take, I'm just going to ask that like the lessons, there were so many lessons and so much wisdom. And of course, each of you who's listening now or later, there's so much wisdom that you carry deep within yourself. And so just let those little sparkles of wisdom the highlights just kind of come now come to your heart whatever it was that it took and then what i want to remind you i'm going to do it through the words of this beautiful poet if it's okay actually so just staying there with your rose in your heart and this is what came so this is what must be wanting to be heard so this is um advice from maria sabina who is a mexican healer and a poet and she says Heal yourself with the light of the sun and the rays of the moon, with the sound of the river and the waterfall, with the swaying of the sea and the fluttering of birds. Heal yourself with mint, neem, and eucalyptus, sweeten with lavender, rosemary, and chamomile. Hug yourself with a cocoa bean and a hint of cinnamon. Put love in tea instead of sugar, and drink it, looking at the stars. Heal yourself with the kisses that the wind gives you, especially, this is my addition, if you're alone. Heal yourself with the kisses that the wind gives you and the hugs of the rain. Stand strong with your bare feet on the ground and with everything that comes from it. Stand strong with your bare feet on the ground and with everything that comes from it. Be smarter every day by listening to your intuition. Jump, dance, sing so that you live happier. Heal yourself with beautiful love. And always remember, you are the medicine. You are the medicine. You are the medicine. We are the medicine. It's inside of us. We come to it together. Mm. thank you thank you mm, so beautiful this was so lovely I want to keep talking to you I know like, what have you well, done you've like <laughs> totally taken away my nerves to the nurturer and the protector <laughs> very good at doing it for others now I will internalize doing it for myself even differently mm. yes I support so, you in that. thank you I want to add this, the saying um, we are the answer to the ancestors prayers to everything that you just said. It was so beautiful. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs podcast. 
Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramatush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fork. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.